So fucking, fucking Texas. Okay. Yesterday, mm-hmm. it was a fucking beautiful, breezy 70 degree day. I opened up every window in this house, which is part of why I'm suffering now, because it let all the cedar in. <laughs> just, <laughs> just bukkake in the windows. You, oh. consented, you consented to the bukkake. I did, though. That, that. I yeah. invited that contact. I'm not complaining <laughs> about it. I got. You're having what gay men refer to as a bad grinder hookup with Mother Nature. <laughs> you do not look like your profile picture (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be turning off some lights (laughs) that's what we're gonna be doing hey that's what i do i didn't say i was going home (laughs) i'm just saying we need need to adjust (laughs) you don't understand how bad traffic was we're doing this (laughs) 45 minutes to go two miles i don't think so (laughs) i did not do a pineapple juice cleanse to be going home right now (laughs) okay (laughs) do not have to say that while i was taking a drink oh my god Hey, speaking of blowing, let's talk about this Agent Carter episode. Oh. Excuse you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> How dare. What is wrong with you? Okay, okay. We'll get into it. We'll yeah, get we into will. it. Uh, so are we ready to introduce I, issue? I don't know. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you sure you're ready? Because I'm, I'm sensing so some not ready. What? There's some there is some hesitation there on the ready. Are you sure you're ready? No, I'm just like, oh shit, need to find my notes real quick. Okay, here it is. So you're not fucking ready. That's what that means. All right, here we go. I'm waiting. <laughs> one sec, one sec, one sec. Oh my god. My computer just did a thing and now I'm here. freaking out. You see this? You need to calm the fuck down. I'm just Okay. Professional 2022. That's what we're at here. This is going well. Do you have your shit together yet? I'm, yeah, I'm ready now. Okay, cool. On, let's go. Let's go, bitch. Let's <laughs> do it. I'm ready and I'm motivated by spite. Let's fucking do I, this. Exactly. <laughs> my my hatred is strong too. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marvelous Divas, the podcast where a woman and a gay man talk all about the MCU and Marvel and cool shit like that. All right. <laughs> Speaking of professionalism, how you like that intro right there? Uh, my name is Stephanie. Well, I'm the woman half of the show, and I'm ready to fuck this face in the day. <laughs> Chris, who are you? <laughs> okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris, and I'm that dumb bitch that doesn't do anything. <laughs> and- <laughs> oh, my God. Best intro ever. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Stephanie, son, mm-hmm. I'd let Geary give me a hickey to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how many times is Dooley going to be your sexy quote at the top of the episode is what uh, I want to know. You know, considering how much I hate I hate him, he has a lot of good one-liners. I know. <laughs> that's the duality of Dooley. <gasps> Maybe that's why that's his name. <gasps> well, that's the duality of almost every character in a show, especially for this episode. But we'll mm-hmm. talk about it. Oh mm-hmm. my god. I'm angry at almost everyone. Me too. Okay. So uh 
what we are doing on this show is we are watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe visual media library in chronological order, which means we started with Captain America the First Avenger, and we are now moving through Agent Carter, the series that immediately follows that story in the timeline. Um, so today, we are talking about Agent Carter Season 1, Episode 4, The Blitzkrieg Button. Ba, ba, ba. Yay. Uh, Chris, do you have a previously on for us? I do. Ooh. <laughs> <clears throat> Conspiracies abound. Ooh. After searching for Howard Stark's bad babies, Agent Carter and Jarvis discover a boat named the Heartbreak containing most of his stolen inventions. Feeling triumphant after the find, Jarvis convinces Peggy that the best course of action is to call in the SSR and leave the bad babies behind for the agency to recover them but a mysterious figure watches them from the shadows after the ssr finds the stark technology krasinski whatever the fuck his name is is killed by a mysterious figure the agents of ssr are struck with grief and chief Dooley vows revenge ba, 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 ba. uh krasinski the man's name is krasinski i know i, I know I, we I, hate him i know i know we well, hate him the the, the <laughs> krz last names kill my dyslexia every time so so yeah. just go by what you hear them say on the show. It's Krasminski. And I hear, like, I hear pig, but that's <laughs> <laughs> But that's because of his personality and not because yeah. of his difficult to pronounce and spell Polish last name. That's correct. And no offense to anyone that has that kind of a last name. I'm just, my brain is stupid and I'm sorry. I just, I have a thing about correctly pronouncing people's names when they're difficult. Because I feel yeah. like, uh, you know, we just, as a society, we have a tendency to be like, your name is really hard. I'm just going to call you Bob. And that's fucking rude and, is, yeah. and an erasure of identity. And I hate it. So even though Krasminski is an asshole, he's an asshole named Krasminski. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I have been uh, traumatized by sophomore year English class in high school oh. for reading Crime and Punishment with the teacher expecting us to pronounce all of the different Russian names correctly. <laughs> and that destroyed me. So <laughs> you're working yeah. through some trauma. It's fine. It's it's fine. That, it's fine. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Russian okay. Names, so, anyway. uh, season one, episode four of the Blitzkrieg button. Um, we are still in 1946, New York, and, uh, it is important. Are we, to, are we really? We are. Um, it is important to note, I think, in the timeline of the show, they, they're kind of, they're playing uh, a little fast and loose with some of the timeline of real world events. And I'm sure we'll yes. get into that later. Um, but right now in our story, it is spring. It's April. April. In 1946. Whereas there are some real world, real world events that clearly happen later. And that we just, you know what? It's, it's the comic book on a screen. We're going to go with it. Um, as far as production, this episode is directed by Stephen Cragg. So again, mm -hmm. we are uh, recruiting uh, into the production of this uh, show some some veteran TV people. Stephen Craig has directed yes. super veteran. Yeah. yeah, he has directed episodes of Doogie Howser, MD, The Practice, mm -hmm. ER, How to Get Away with Murder, for which he is also a producer. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I just his resume is super longer than that, but those are the high points. Um, this episode is written by Brant Engelstein. Uh, and he's written a lot, a lot, a lot, um, stuff like Law and Order and multiple episodes of this show. Yep. And, you know, I really don't envy the writers <laughs> for these episodes because they have to pack in so much. 
Maybe a little bit too much. Yeah, this sometimes. this particular yeah. episode bounces all over the fucking place. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it, it's just fucking packed. There's a lot going on. So, um, you know, thoughts and prayers for us as we try to be coherent while we move through this. Yeah. You know, um, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I want to prep before we really jump into this. I really want to uh, express this to our audience. Because mm-hmm. as Stephanie can tell you, I am always very nervous when I express a negative opinion, because I tend to be extraordinarily critical. Mm -hmm. And it's true. And it's not my intention. If you love this episode, God bless you. Uh, I celebrate you. There is nothing wrong with that. Most of this is subjective. Most of it. There is an objective problem I have with this episode. Well, I'm fascinated to hear about it, because I I really liked this episode. That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> um, um, but Stephen, let, let's go back to Stephen Craig. Um, I I have family and friends that have worked in television and movie production, mm-hmm. and Stephen Craig is someone I've actually uh, heard about a lot. Oh, he's probably one of the more celebrated television directors of the '90s. Mm-hmm. However, uh, he, like any good television uh, director. You usually knows how to make something work when you have a very tight budget and you're working on a script that you pretty much have to work with what you got. Mm-hmm. And and Stephen Craig is the director that just makes it work, so, somehow, some way. However, he loves to throw in common tropes like the the alcoholic homeless person that does something, um, <laughs> uh, actions of sexism, um, and he does it as uh, plot points to drive home a moral to the story. But sometimes the execution is tired and should stay in the 90s. And that's, that's, that's where I'm going to start my thesis of this episode because um, I am personally um, a big advocate for, the home, for homeless issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to work at a homeless shelter. Uh, I, am very, I take that issue very seriously. Mm-hmm. The common trope that a person that is homeless is like a drug addict or an alcoholic, which surely they do exist you know, you can't avoid them, but an overwhelming majority of people that are homeless have mental health issues. And Mm -hmm. a lot of things, a lot of things represented in pop culture when it comes to the homeless community has done a lot of damage to a lot of advocacy for the homeless community. So I really do not appreciate the, 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 yeah, the the plot point that's in the middle of this episode Mm -hmm. where there's a homeless person and they do a thing. And that's a, that's an interesting point because like uh, the, I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of these guys did a lot of TV in the 90s, both of them, yeah. the the director and the writer. And you know, now my, my brain is going back through all of this episode, and you're fucking right. This, there's a lot of, like, the practice, law and order tropiness that happens in this episode. Yes, yeah. Um, and the actual language of the script is often very infuriating. But I, I took that as part of the piece of the tapestry of the story of feminism that we're telling here. But... Um, this it, the thing to keep in mind is that this show was not made in the distant past. This yeah. was not made in the nineties. This is a 2015 show. So yeah, I can see how, yeah, absolutely. Some of the shit that we're going to talk about today is um, not okay. And actually kind of, kind of upsetting to find in a modern yeah. show. I was so annoyed with this episode. Now I, I watched this episode twice. The first mm-hmm. time I watched it, I was entertained. It was fine. And then a, a certain a certain monologue happens, and mm. going back and watching it again, a lot of the stuff at the beginning with Howard Stark no longer seemed cute or funny or whatever. It seemed actually really offensive to me. Right. And and so um, 
Going back to that that notion, there are a lot of tropes that I if you told me this show was made in 2015, I would have said you're fucking lying. This is this must have been made in like 1999. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing um, I do want to criticize this episode in particular for this is the first Peggy Carter episode where I am what I'm clearly watching a television show. And what I mean by that is like I can tell in certain scenes that they are walking in a studio a studio backlot. They were on the Warner Brothers backlot or the Universal Studios backlot. Mm-hmm. They didn't even cha- bother changing some of the signs in the background uh, from another television show. Hmm. Um, and that level, I mean, which told me they had a very tight timeline. They have a very restrictive budget. You know, the director is just going to make it work. And that's that's the whole problem with this episode. Um that combined with the ABC, uh, what a lot of people may not know is that each television uh, network has a color palette that they want their film directors to stick to. That's why NBC shows have a certain look and feel to them. You know that when you're channel surfing, you're seeing a show on NBC or CBS or Fox or whatever. Huh. Um, AB, the ABC color palette, for me, works for comedies. It does not work for action. Mm-hmm. And that's why one of the reasons why I don't like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And... We had three perfect uh, uh, television episodes with Agent Carter. They were super stylized. They, I couldn't tell I was watching a television show because they were working the camera, working the angles. They brought in all this music. This episode came, like, slapped me in the face. It was like, you're watching an ABC show. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. It, yeah. So that's that's my that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to stop being negative now and just buy into the characters <laughs> and talk about them. But that's kind of how I feel about this episode. And why ultimately I'm kind of disappointed by this one. That's it. Okay. Okay. No, yeah. I feel you. Um, so <clears throat> let's get into the episode then. Yeah. Shall we? <laughs> Stephanie's like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's interesting. That's an interesting lens to be viewing the rest of this through. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we open up, we are at a train station, a, a cargo train area, uh, clearly backlot times uh, behind the scenes. And Jarvis is exchanging money for a quote unquote package at the train yard. <laughs> why Jarvis? Why? Why Jarvis <laughs> is my question. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is he the one? Because the only two people, we'll, we'll see, the only two people that could be doing this, uh, Jarvis is the man one. So, of course, he's the one <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is front and center here. And he is paying a $50,000 payment in $1,000 bills. Oh, to be... <laughs> when your boss is Howard Stark... But can we talk about $1,000 bills for a second? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to go ahead and, like, we're two seconds into the show, and I need to derail us with a sidebar. Uh, the $1,000 bill, it looks like fucking Monopoly money. But here's the yep. thing. $1,000 bills existed. Yep. That was actual legal tender. The original version of the $1,000 bill had Alexander Hamilton's face on it, but the Treasury Department realized that that would actually be confusing since he's already on the $10. So yep. they changed it to Grover Cleveland. <laughs> who was who was the twenty second and twenty fourth president of the United States? Um, the one thousand dollar bill was discontinued in nineteen sixty nine. Nice. <laughs> anyway, um, it is a collector's item. If you find a one thousand dollar bill, hold on to that shit. There's only about one hundred and sixty five thousand of them in existence right now, so yep. they're worth considerably more than their literal face value. Yeah, there was a uh, in in the sixties. As a matter of fact, there was a major uh, money laundering conspiracy, mm-hmm. and this is one of the things that led to what led to uh, you know how you go to a store and if you use like a fifty dollar bill, uh, a person at the cash register would take out like a highlighter pen and mark mm-hmm. it. 
make sure yeah they were being counterfeited like pretty hardcore and yeah, this is and before like we really had the technology to do something about that the treasury department was like you know we need to take these uh these big convenient bills out of circulation because yeah. it's and and jarvis even mentions that paying this in the one thousand dollar bills is easier and lighter than paying it in singles and that's because the treasury department was like let's just keep Let's keep smaller denominations out there so it's actually physically heavier to to launder large amounts of money. Like it's mm-hmm. just physically inconvenient. So anyway, uh, Jarvis is paying fifty thousand in one thousand dollar bills, but the thugs that he is paying are trying to extort him for an extra one hundred thousand on the spot. <laughs> Because they think they can get away with it because they're just dealing with some pasty British guy. Exactly. My favorite is he's like, well, I don't mean to be rude, but I will not give in to this extortion. And the guy's like, this ain't extortion. It's a shakedown. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, shakedown is an extortion. But okay, okay. No, you're right. It's a shakedown. But he thinks he can get away with it because he's got other guys on the premises. He's got three other guys walking around. Uh, but... The three other guys, by the way, they all work for somebody by the name of Mr. Mink, who we've never met. This is a new name, a Mr. Uh, Mink. We're going to call him, what, Creepy Guy number three? <laughs> no, because I feel like Creepy Guy indicates that they're all on the same team, and Mr. Mink is not on their team. No, Mr. Mr. Mink is, is actually just a local mob boss. Would you like to know about Mr. Mink? Not right this not second, no, okay. but we're not, we're let's gonna... wait until we actually meet him. He's not on screen yet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll deal with Mr. Mink in a minute. Um, Mr. But Mink. Mr. Mink. Um, the other three thugs, they're wandering around, uh, but they are being taken out systematically one by one <laughs> by Peggy Carter in full horror movie monster mode. <laughs> <laughs> I called it Batman mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While Peggy Carter, a.k.a. Batman, is uh, going around in this train yard eliminating these guys, we do get a ding on the Peggy Carter impromptu weapons counter. Yep. She drops a brick <laughs> on a guy's head. <laughs> like I did, I did love that. Peggy is full-on hospitalizing people. Okay? <laughs> that's, that, that, that's, that's a concussion. He's, he's, he's going to die if he doesn't see a doctor yeah, soon. Yeah, see, they don't know what we know now about head trauma. So, <laughs> Well, that's what the fedoras were actually hard hats. That's what they don't tell us now. Because uh, <laughs> at the time, they were actually lined with Kevlar. They have protection. Everybody, they have everybody protection. was fine. They're fine. fine. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Peggy is taking out the guy's backup while Jarvis is... Uh, uh, getting nervous and talking with thug number one, uh, he tugs on his ear and he's like, yep. okay, fine. Uh, here, I have the rest of the money. And he pushes a button on the briefcase and turns it around and shoves it at them. Mm-hmm. So so then they open the briefcase and, oh no, smoke! There's gas. Green gas. <laughs> Just, and it does what? It's distracting. It doesn't seem to have any other it effect. Yeah, it. I was like, oh shit, he's going to murder two guys. But right. then they don't, they just cough a little bit. And I was like, okay. Oh. Is that just like pepper? <laughs> like what? What, what was the point of that? But I, yeah, I guess just it, just as a distraction, I guess, yeah. so that Peggy can come up behind them with a gun, uh, and uh, and subdue them from there. So, yeah. and okay. she does, and she does. Good job. Um, so, what is the package that they're there to pick up? What is the package? I'm. Are oh you fucking God. kidding me right now? I am not kidding you. It's I'm a cargo right container full of Howard Stark. One second. You are correct. I um, am. Thank you for confirming that. 
Uh, so, so okay. So I was question. Like, what the fuck? Are you okay? No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not okay. I'm having a date. I'm having a computer issue today. I think. Okay. Do we need um, to pause for a second so you can mm, address it? One second. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not gonna touch shit on my desk anymore. Okay. All That's, right. We're good. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a cargo container in which Howard Stark is very comfortable. There was something, something very, um, ooh, blacklist about it. That's exactly what I had in my notes. Right? Like um, Raymond Reddington and his luxury cargo containers. Right. Which, by the way, I still want one. <laughs> I, I especially want it if it's got Raymond Reddington in it. Oh my, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk about that on the Blacklist Divas episode. <laughs> we are not doing the Blacklist Divas. We could talk uh, about the Blacklist Divas someday. There's just there's. You tell me. Tell me. There's a demand for it. Tell me anybody would fucking listen. Oh, that, that's just for us. That is, okay. <laughs> that is our because I love. I know. I well because like I know a lot of people don't watch the Blacklist, but I fucking love that show so. Much. It's so anyway. fucking good and batshit. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Which, we're fun, not talking about uh, that. We're talking about Agent well, Carter. Well, fun fact, uh, did you know that there was like a couple weeks where this show was counter-programmed with Blacklist? No. Yeah. And I was like, are you fucking serious? I would not, I would not know what to pick. (laughs) You know? Anyway. That's why streaming is great. You could just watch whatever. I know, thank God. Limited Uh, to the fucking program. So Stark in a train. Okay, so Stark is, he has a fucking pool table set up in this cargo container, which by the way, as as I, I grew up with a pool snob so um that's incredibly stupid and dumb and awful there's no way that Why? that table is calibrated correctly there's no way that oh. it's level there's no way he's having a decent game of fucking pool it is just there for stark to be bent over a pool table when they walk in so he can be all like les affaires and i am so rich and look at my pool table you know that's fucking. you don't anyway. think he went you don't think he went through the expense of like actually getting that shit leveled or well i'm sure but does he can he keep the train level the entire time oh uh... I see what you're saying. I, it could be level in relation to the cargo container, but it's not going to be level in relation to the rest of the world outside the container. <laughs> see, I don't know shit about pool, so I, I, I can tell you about air hockey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I think one thing that you can agree on about pool is that a cue ball thrown at your head is pretty damaging. Uh, actually, that has happened before. Not, uh, uh, <laughs> weren't you there? Was I there when you got a cue ball thrown at your head? It, it hit my shoulder. Uh, we, I, I could have sworn you were there. I'm we were at, uh, we were at Lake Jackson. Oh yeah, shady, stupid shit goes down in Lake Jackson. Yeah, we were in that very like, classy. Remember, remember back when you could smoke indoors. I'm sure actually you could still smoke indoors there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there was like a bar where there was like endless pool tables everywhere, and some drunk person tossed a, a ball towards my shoulder. I don't remember that. And that, shit that doesn't mean hurt. it didn't happen. Okay. I've I slept guess. since then. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. That, that no. was probably like 18 years ago. So uh, it was actually 18 years ago. So I can confirm that that shit hurts. That it was shit not hurts. My, it was not my head, but it was my shoulder. So Peggy and Jarvis open the cargo container. There's Howard. Uh, he's just like, hey, it's my favorite foreigners. And, uh, he gets an honorable mention ding on the Peggy Carter impromptu weaponry counter for picking up a cue ball and throwing it over Peggy's shoulder to bean one of the thugs in the head. And once again, blunt, blunt head trauma. Come exactly. On. Come on. So, so good for him. Anyway, yeah, they're there to pick up Howard Stark, who should not be in the country. He is a wanted fugitive. Uh, but that's why he had to be smuggled in in a cargo yeah, be, container. Right. So uh, Peggy and Jarvis are driving Howard uh, back to one of his lesser known residents. And he is like 
hunkered down in the back seat like you do. Um, mm-hmm. And I had some inappropriate thoughts about Howard Stark <laughs> reclining in the back seat of a car. Yeah, I'm like, let me climb back in there with you, Mr. Stark. I'm just Stark. saying it looks yeah. cozy. But but all of those thoughts were completely dissipated by the end of this episode. So right, right. I by the end of this episode, I'm over my crush on Howard Stark. Me too. Over. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're driving him home. It's supposed to be one of his least known properties, but Peggy immediately, as they as they get closer, spots various SSR agents staking the place out. I I, I love this part a lot because it was like a, an immediate like oh shit I see something like from a mile away and mm-hmm. it just reinforces what a badass Peggy is. She's so fucking good. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Stop the car. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. You cannot take him there. And Howard's like, but nobody knows about this. This is my super secret. And Peggy's like, you got a man killed. Like not directly, but an agent was killed last time. So yeah, the SSR is good at their job and they're going to do it really well. All over your face right now. You jackass. Mm-hmm. Why are you in the country? Like she's annoyed. And she's extra annoyed when she realizes she's only got one place to take him. Where he can be hidden. The Griffith Hotel. The Griffith. And of course, when they pull up, he recognizes it and asks how Miriam's doing. Oh my god. God! This fucking guy. Now, we just had we just had an episode where, uh, you know, the previous episode where, what's her name, does that whole big speech about Houdini mm-hmm. and nobody can sneak in and oh my god. So I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm going, oh my god, Stark, you're going to fuck everything up for Peggy, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, in general. Yeah. That's what he's doing. Yeah. He's fucking everything up for Peggy. But anyway, so she sneaks him in uh, up through the coal chute into the basement and sends him up the dumbwaiter to up to the third floor where she lives because she can't walk him up the stairs nope. because no men are allowed above the first floor. Uh, but surprise, Miriam. Yeah. And uh, th- I'm so gay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was oh. actually, <laughs> I was actually like enthralled with this epi- this part of the episode because I was like, oh my god, oh my god, the whole time. And when <laughs> Miriam was like, Miss Carter, like I was like, ah, like scream like a girl. <laughs> I also love that actress a whole lot. So she's great. You know, yeah, um, uh, and she looks like me when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got your hair in like a crocheted net and everything. Yep. Yeah, because yep. you have so much hair. Uh, but oh no, god damn. Miriam has <laughs> Miriam has caught Peggy at the dumbwaiter and Miriam's like, "Hey, do you know how many men I have caught sneaking into this building through the dumbwaiter?" And Peggy's like, "It's just my laundry." Yep. Miriam's not an idiot. She's and Miriam, not dumb. No. Miriam takes her job of keeping the women that live in the Griffiths safe very seriously. And uh it's obnoxious. So but and, it, and it's kind of played for laughs, and I feel like it, it is kind of disrespected by the writers in this episode so, a little bit. So bad. But this was actually a real thing. Like, women, single women living alone in the city needed a safe place to live. And places mm-hmm. like the Griffith Hotel, while quite puritanical in their, uh, in their rules, were a safe place for women to live. Right. So um, I respect Miriam's role, and frankly, so does Peggy. She doesn't want to be bringing this fucker into the building either, but she's got nowhere else to put him. Right. So uh, she's, uh, Miriam escorts Peggy upstairs to her door, and Peggy's <laughs> like, okay, well, bye now. And Miriam's like, oh, uh-uh. let's go check the dumb waiter. Don't you have the laundry? Don't you have laundry? And Peggy's like, uh-huh, fuck. 
okay. <laughs> Goes and over to the dumbwaiter and opens it, and Howard's not there. Nope. Just a bag, that bag of Howard's things, which Peggy is passing off as her laundry. And she mm-hmm. grabs that, says goodnight to Miriam, sends her on her way, and then she's like, fuck, where the fuck is Howard? Did he fall to his death in the dumbwaiter uh, shaft? What yeah, the fuck? Side note, when she's like looking around the corner and watching Miriam walk away, I, I wrote down, that's a shining moment. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? Because, like, it, the shot, it was one of the few good shots in this uh, oh, show. Oh, The Shining. Like, yeah, The Shining. The Shining. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can't get sued. We have to call it The Shining. Um, yeah, but it was like, you know, she's, like, at the end of the hallway of this, like, creep with the creepy wallpaper. I hate the wallpaper. I hate the it's wallpaper. Ugly. It's ugly. Yeah, yeah. it's so ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Peggy's like, okay, I'm clear. And then this is where we find out that the walls of the hotel are paper thin. Paper fucking thin! (sighs) Because Peggy's going, Howard, Howard, and then she hears flirtatious giggling. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Howard Stark is in one of her neighbor's rooms. So, okay. Do you think he knows this person from a previous uh, encounter? No, no. He knocked he just, on the door, he smiled and twinkled at her, she let him in, and now he's got lipstick all over his face and he's buttoning his fucking pants. Okay, I mean, okay, look, Howard Stark is cute and all, and... Ain't that fucking cute? No, no one is that fucking cute. I've got no. to know at least why you are in front of my door. Maybe it's because I'm an introvert. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> He's lucky that he managed to knock on... Oh, you know what? Maybe that's Sarah. No, it's not Sarah. Because, because remember, Sarah's the slut, um, which I want to meet Sarah. I would like to high five that character. Good job. I, I, we love Sarah. We love we Sarah. We stand Sarah on Marvelous TV. I haven't even seen Sarah. She's one of my favorites. It, she's like our favorite character in the um, show. That should tell you something, by the way. I can't remember who this is. Hmm. Uh, slut number two? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, there's nothing wrong Lorraine. with being a slut, but like Lorraine. this is too- Oh, okay. It's Lorraine, and Stark tells uh, tells Lorraine that he that Peggy is his cousin. So okay, um, and so she extricates him from Lorraine's room, takes him to her room. Good for them. Okay. So, <sighs> meanwhile, at the SSR, right, uh, the chief has been up all night working on the Stark case. Mm-hmm. He looks he looks a little haggard, a little not so fresh. <laughs> yeah, you can smell the bo. Yeah. Looking at him. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, congratulations, Shea Wiggum. He really put together this rumpled look of, of a man who's just like too focused. Uh, mm. And he's he's working it. He's working it. Um, so uh, he got a report from the U.S. military on the Battle of Finale. And he hands it to Thompson. Thompson opens it up and it is all redacted. It's all redacted. There's yeah. like two lines that you can read. There, there's there's so no information in there. The right. government doesn't even want to talk about the Battle of Finnau. And the Battle so, of Finnau is important because that is where Creepy Guys 1 and 2 were supposed to have been dead two years ago. But what I don't understand is why was it redacted for the SSR? Are they just not established enough yet as an agency to be trusted with that kind of information? We will find out. Oh, okay. See, I because haven't Because it, be, it should be an enormous red flag for you that this report is redacted for the SSR. Oh. For the for the special scientific reserve, for the fucking weird ass investigatory police of the U.S. government, they're not even being told. That's a red flag. Yeah, because I mean, I always picture I even at this stage, I pictured the SSR of equivalent level of like what will become the CIA. You know, right? So exactly. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, the fact that they're not being told, that's a hell of a thing. And also Ouch. this may be part of like showing, uh, where the evolution of the SSR is. Cause it will eventually evolve into under Peggy Carter's, uh, guidance will evolve into shield. Right. And shield doesn't get redacted reports from the government. Nope. Shield <laughs> they... redacts reports to the government. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, um, so the one piece of information that Dooley is able to get from this super redacted report is that there was a Nazi colonel who led the regiment, uh, the German regiment that, according to their intel, uh, overran the Russian forces at Finau. So this particular Nazi colonel, Ernst Miller, is going to be executed in two days for the charges are murder, extermination, enslavement, and deportation. Mm-hmm. Which are very nice words for the atrocities committed by the Nazis <laughs> during you know, the World Holocaust and, yeah. and such. And yeah, such. that's what yeah. extermination and enslavement refer to. Oh my God! It is it is refreshing to hear people hate on Nazis. Uh, we don't get enough of that today, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Warms my cold black heart. <laughs> Just love it. So, um. What the chief is going to do, his plan is to fly out to Germany right fucking now uh, so that if he hurries, he can get there in time before Miller gets executed to ask him about Finnell because his own fucking government won't tell him about Finnell. So he's going to go talk to the Nazi who was there. Sure. And uh, this is where uh, Thompson's like, uh, sir, are you really going to trust the word of a Nazi? And Dooley <laughs> says the line that you checked at the beginning. He says, son. I'd let Gary give me a hickey if he get me to the bottom of this. But, you know, this, this speaks to his level of desperation. Um, you know, they did lose a friend and a co-worker. Mm-hmm. Um, so now he's fucking charged to get this shit, get to the bottom of this. But I have to say, from a production standpoint, this was a huge mistake. Oh. And this is where, like, this is where something like a Blacklist show is far more successful. You know, we know that TV shows have a limited budget, right? Right. If you're going to say, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to Germany," um, I don't know what the costs are associated with this, but it's it would be nice if uh, you know because later in the episode, Dooley will walk down a hallway and go into a jail cell. Mm-hmm. That's all we see of Germany. Right. It it takes four or five seconds to show stock footage of Nuremberg. Right. Which they did not do. Well, probably because they couldn't find four or five seconds of stock 1940s footage of Nuremberg. Right. So why do why why do this story in the first place? Why not do something else? You know, that's what that's and that's kind of what I mean. It's like that that felt very cheap to me. And yeah, why do we that do, in the first place? That's yeah. super valid because we do kind of hand wave the idea that he's in Germany right now. Like you just have to yeah. take the take the title card's word for it when it says he's in Nuremberg. Right, but, right, right. But we will get to that. Um mm-hmm. relevant to the rest of the story is who is Dooley leaving in charge while he's gone? Fucking Thompson. Fucking Jack Thompson. I hate him. I hate him so much in this episode. I hate him so much. I just... I take back everything I said about his fucking dimples last time. He can fucking (laughs) shove his dimples up his ass. I told you. I'm so mad at him. So props to Chad Michael Murray. This is what he does very well. And this is what he does. He's so comfortable saying it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Not even there. Okay. So meanwhile, fuck. Back at the Griffith, uh, it is very early morning, uh, and Peggy's like, why are you here? How long are you here? I don't want you to stay here. Give me information. <laughs> Get the fuck out, please. And Stark is like, I am leaving for Rio in three days. And she's like, great. Why are you here in person? Why you right. and not just fucking Jarvis? And Stark's like, because I have a camera pen. 
<laughs> it took me forever to miniaturize the lens. Yeah, like you couldn't have mailed us the fucking camera pen. This doesn't answer why you are here. Right. But whatever. He uh, gives Peggy a camera pen so that she can sneak into the SSR and get pictures of all of the stuff, all of the Stark Tech bullshit that they've got, because he needs to be able to assess which pieces they have and which are still on the black market. Sure, Jan. Sure. Okay. Uh, so Peggy goes to work in a fucking amazing purple dress. Right? Like, it's it's almost too nice for work. Like, yeah. she looks stunning in this I, dress. It does I want to do drag like... in that dress, and I never want to do drag before. But the, I, 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 I have in my notes, too. That's a fucking great dress. It's like... such a great dress. And... The thing is, and I love this dress. I want her to give me this dress. Uh, she looks stunning in this dress. And it makes her stand out even more mm-hmm. than every skirt suit that she has worn to her job. And I found it, I found it a little odd that she's not like wearing a blazer or something over it because she is trying to somehow blend in a little bit and assimilate with her male coworkers. This dress does not do that. This dress would distract the fuck out of her male coworkers. Yeah. Because, you know, they're all fucking men. pig men. They're all fucking with pig the, men. With one notable, shining, glorious, beautiful yeah, and, exception. And I think, again, this is, I, I, I credit this to production oversight. I, I just, it, this wasn't, you're right, this wasn't the right dress yeah. for the situation. You're right. Because it's such a, it's such a rich purple color. Like that's, it's a very mature color. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a grown ass woman's going out for the evening kind of dress. Like going to the movies with your fella. This is not a going to work dress. It's a great right. dress and she's wearing the shit out of it, but mm-hmm. it's not work clothes. So that's odd, but okay. And before we get the, uh, y'all are being sexist by commenting on women's dress, blah, 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 blah. I'm gay. Steph's judgmental. This is how it works. <laughs> uh, Divas is in the title of the podcast. Divas is in the title of the podcast. Do I, know how to, do I know how to dress myself? No, but I also prefer being naked, so me. Yeah. And you know what? The second they start dressing any of the men at the same level they're dressing Peggy, I'll comment on that shit. But they're not. These men, none of their fucking clothes fit them. Okay? Right. Sousa's the only one, and they're putting him in tailored sweater vests, which fit him nicely, but also make him look 90. So Yeah, yeah. And I I hate the I hate all the pants. All the pants in the show. Hate it. But I mean they're period appropriate. There was not a lot of ass hugging pants outside of the Navy uh at this time. So it I get it. I get it. And because this is a period piece, we're gonna comment on the clothes. Yep. That's just how it is. Okay. So, um, where, so I got distracted by the dress. Where am I in my notes? Oh, so Thompson does a speech and it's a, it's a decent speech. It's actually good. I, I I was like, okay, he's a, I I like the speech. We're not resting until we find, uh, who, who did everything. Don't forget about the agent in your name. Yeah. Like agent Ray Krasminski was killed. Remember that all of your names start with agent. So you're all important too, and we are gonna we're gonna do what we can to find it. And then he's like, "Everybody, line up single file. I have assignments for all of you. We are working day and night, and we're gonna fucking catch whoever killed Krasinski." So Sousa's like, "I uh, fuck assignments. I got my own thing." <laughs> yeah, Sousa's gonna do real detective work. Which, by the way, he's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that he and Peggy sort of commiserate a little bit. Uh, Sousa's like, "So, are you looking forward to whatever Commandant Thompson has for you?" Uh, yeah, and Peggy's all, I'm probably just going to get the lunch order. And then, like fucking clockwork, two seconds later, Thompson's 
pokes his head out of his office and goes, Marge, start taking the lunch orders. I fucking hate him so much. I hate that he calls her Marge. I fucking hate that so obviously much. her preferred name is Peggy. Peggy is a nickname for Margaret. Yep. I don't know how. I don't know why. But it is. And so <laughs> calling her Marge is a deliberate disrespect to her preference of being addressed. And he's the only one who fucking does it. Mm-hmm. Such a shithead. Anyway, Sousa is like putting on a jacket and Thompson's like, where the fuck are you going? And Sousa's like, I gotta go. I'm gonna go follow up some leads and stuff. And he tells Peggy that he's gonna go down to uh, check the, the phone that called in the anonymous tip. He's gonna try and get some prints off of that. And that is valid and correct and probably should have been done the night of. Yep. Because it was a public phone. So... uh other people have fucking touched it because back in the day kids <laughs> we didn't have cell phones like jarvis uh so. nope. <laughs> like jarvis in the show <laughs> so uh there would be a public telephone a payphone yeah. just out and about in fact i think in the 40s it wasn't even a payphone you would just pick it up and an operator would be on the line imagine imagine uh stumbling out of a gay club being super drunk and realizing that your driver is going home with somebody else and they're barely conscious uh, so you have to find a payphone <laughs> and call Stephanie and be like, bitch, please pick me up. And you're like, I'm sleeping. And then you have to call somebody else, but you don't have an, you don't have enough change in your pocket to do that. So you have to ask <laughs> random strangers to do that. I'm yeah, sorry, that was did, a fun- this, did this actually happen? Yeah, that was a fun night. Okay. I'm bitter. I'm still bitter. I love that you're this bitter now, decades later, about something I have zero memory of. I know. <laughs> 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 That's adorable. Okay, so um doop doop doop. Oh, Peggy uses the excuse of collecting the lunch orders to go down to the lab where all of the scientists in the strategic scientific reserve are poking at the bad babies. <laughs> this sh- this should be concerning. Okay, so uh yeah, Peggy is t- Peggy's taking pictures with the camera pen. Right. Um while this guy's like, oh, there's this there's this thing that's electrifying me and blew up my glasses. I don't know what it does. And, and in I'm the like, background, there's the two guys in lab coats. <laughs> One of them catches himself on fire with green fire. Green flame. Yeah. And then they put that out. And a little bit later, he catches himself on blue fire. Yeah. And then they put that out. And like... We're in danger, y'all. We're really? In- <laughs> I hope the lab is like on the top floor because I would not want these motherfuckers <laughs> in between no. me and the street level. Right, because I feel like they're gonna blow something up any fucking second. They call the they call these guys the lab rats for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> uh, emphasis on rat, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so Peggy's taken pictures of all the bad babies. She's done her job. Good job, because she's a spy. Um, meanwhile, Souza is at the dock, and he's got like a big old kit, an full old of, school like, crime kit. Oh, yeah, old timey detective stuff i really i tried to pause it and get a good look at it because i was just super intrigued by the prop but they don't actually ever get a good shot of it and i was annoyed by that yeah but i was less annoyed because what was obstructing the shot was daniel Sousa's face (laughs) (laughs) and anytime we can get a good look at that is a good time um life is really not fair when you give somebody that that face with those cheekbones and those fucking eyes, mm. I know with it's your not big fair. brown eyes. Fucking it's back not off, fair. Jokai. Stop flirting with me through the camera. That's right. not right. Like when he, uh, so he he realize he notices the sound and he does like that side shot with his eyes, and I was mm. like, oh my god. Yeah, we got it bad. We got it real bad. <laughs> I'm in love. 
<laughs> so now I am a Sousa stan officially. Yeah, no, yeah. girl, it gets worse and better and worse and better. <laughs> I, I, I'm here for it. such a delight. Okay, so uh, he pauses in the middle of trying to get Prince off of this phone because he hears some people nearby. And here are a couple of uh, gentlemen hanging out on the docks playing a game of poker. And it is suggested very strongly through their dress and appearance that they are, in fact, uh, homeless. Yep. So uh, take it away, Chris. Yeah. So look, y'all, um, most people are homeless because of mental health issues. And we have a cruel society where we don't take enough care of those people and they have mm-hmm. nowhere to go. They cannot they can't maintain a full time job because they cannot like their mind will not let them. It's like. Just like somebody who cannot, who is unable to walk, cannot do a job that requires them to walk, people with these severe mental health issues cannot function and have a day-to-day job, pay bills, all that kind of stuff. And our society is so cruel that we let people just live on the street. I mean, and it could also be physical health as well. Yeah, like in, and it could, in, sometimes, yeah. Speaking from my perspective, I, I have a chronic illness. I am unable to work a full-time job. I have the great fortune of being married to a wonderful man uh, who has been the sole breadwinner in our house for over a decade uh, because I can't, I can't work. Um, so... Not everybody has that safety net. Not everybody has a good partner. Right. And so if you are physically or, or mental, because mental health and physical health are the same fucking thing. Exactly. Yeah. They need to be treated as the same level of priority. But this society, um, yay capitalism, uh, has such a callous towards anyone who is incapable, either mentally or physically or emotionally, of pulling their 40 hour a week weight. And mm-hmm. it's awful. So go on. Sorry. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, 100%. Also, you know, a lot of homeless people with these types of issues, they do take up drugs and alcohol because, hello, they need fucking medication and mm-hmm. uh, drugs and, and alcohol. They're self-medicating. Exactly. So um, I don't appreciate this trope. Uh, right. it, it has done a lot of damage to a lot of homeless advocate advocacy. Um, it continues to happen to this day. And I just I'm not a fan. So right. anyway, with that, so, with that said. Got- We've got these two guys. Uh, they're hanging out, uh, playing poker. Uh, Sousa crutches over to them and is like, hey, do you guys see anything? And they make him as a cop immediately. Oh, yeah. Because obviously. And yeah. I will props to Frank, who's like, I don't talk to cops. Nope. Absolutely not. And like, I can see that and agree with it. I mean, I love Sousa and I know that his heart is golden and in the correct place and he's just trying to do a good job here, but I wouldn't want to talk to him either. And I certainly wouldn't want to get uh, taken downtown to talk to him because if you are a homeless man, uh, maybe you go downtown with the cops and you don't come back. Yep. You know? I mean, there were two episodes ago where Thompson just beats the shit out of somebody. So, you know, that's common practice right now, right? Exactly. Like, why would you, why would you ever trust a cop? So, uh, Frank takes a swing at Sousa because he, he refuses to say whether or not he saw anything. And Sousa immediately clocks that as he's totally fucking saw something. Um, on the night in question with the heartbreak boat and everything that went down. Uh, but we do get a shining moment for Sousa because everybody in that office underestimates him. About as much as they underestimate Peggy because he's got one fucking leg, right? Right. Uh, but Souza is able to, by himself, take this man to the ground with his crutch and handcuff him and take him in. Like, his handicap is not a handicap. It's, in fact, just an extra weapon. <laughs> so, that's yeah. nice for Souza, not so nice for Frank. 
And again, he hit him in the head, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is up with okay, what anyway, is up with that? Something's the, up with the, that. The, the concussion aftermath of the victims of Agent Carter are are, are going to be long. You know, it could just be the SSR's activity in 1946 New York that led to leaps and bounds and advancements in medical treatment of head trauma. <laughs> so we cut to Mr. Mink. Would you like to know about Mr. Mink? <laughs> Will you please tell me about Mr. Mink, the guy who smuggled Howard Stark into the country? Otto Mink is his name. Uh-huh. And he is actually a comic book character, though a very small one. And this is reaching way back. Uh, oh. back, when, back when Marvel Comics uh, did a compilation of like, you know, you get you get like a single Marvel Comics magazine and mm-hmm. they have a bunch of short stories with a bunch of random characters in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, apparently, Marvel Comics issue number, I think it's 17? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Captain America fights the crime boss, Otto Mink. Oh, who okay. Was a creepy, uh, it looks like a creepy, overweight dude with a cat. <laughs> well, I mean, sure. It sounds like they, they just crapped, crapped together some, uh, some tropes and made Otto Mink. Yeah, and why, much... why would you name him Otto Mink and give him a cat? Why not give him a mink? Oh, oh, missed opportunity, but, Marvel issue seventeen. Get it together. Yeah, if uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, that's that's where he comes from. He this was like, hey, let's we need a random character name for this character. What are we gonna pull? Oh, Auto Mink sounds cool. Well, and, and can you blame them though? Like they really just needed a bad guy for an episode. Uh, so they've got this enormous backbench of minor baddie characters. Reaching all the way back through Marvel, yeah. so why not? And, why not? And, and they, for reasons that are later to be revealed in this episode, they needed somebody very disposable, so they couldn't pull any of the villains that have actually right. mean something, right? Exactly. So I understand. Yeah. So um, Otto Mink is being played by uh, a that guy actor. Now I I love that guys. And for those of you who don't know, a that guy actor is somebody who you see in a, in a show or a movie and you go, oh, it's that guy. I've seen him in a hundred bajillion other things. I don't yep. necessarily know his name, but it's that guy. That so guy. <laughs> this that guy, I, I love, I love that guys. These guys, that guy actors, and you don't necessarily need to be male to be a that guy. It's a, right. it's a general term. Um, they, that person. They are it, the best way. The way you become a that guy is you follow uh, the Larry Hovis rule of uh, of career, which is be on time, prepared, and sober. Yep. So these these are actors who show up on time. They're always prepared. They're sober. They do their job. And so they will have resumes that are hundreds of credits long because they always work steadily playing these characters uh that are not necessarily always in the spotlight of their show. This particular that guy is Gregory Sporlater, or Sporleader. Sorry, sir, I don't know how to pronounce your name. We've never met. Um, <laughs> and he has been, he's made a career out of being the go-to lanky white guy since 1989. 1989? He looks like he's like 20 in this movie. Or he's in ageless. This show. Yeah. Jesus. So uh, I remember him particularly from Renaissance Man with Danny DeVito. Do you remember that movie? Mm, I remember it, but I haven't seen that. It is a 1994 film in which Danny DeVito teaches a bunch of like down and out soldiers how to find like rhythm and stuff. And he's one of the the people in the squad. Uh, This is also the movie that had, it was one of Mark Wahlberg's first movies. 
Uh, and the joke that he didn't have rhythm was haha hilarious because that was Marky Mark. Haha, obviously Marky Mark has rhythm. Whatever. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, Gregory Sporlater has been in Never Been Kissed, Being John Malkovich, 24, Black Hawk Down, True Blood, Sons of Anarchy, etc., etc., etc. He's Good everywhere. God. Yeah. He's everywhere. Uh, so we love him. And um, Mr. Otto Mink is sitting at his desk uh, receiving a boatload of bullshit from the thugs that he sent that got the shit kicked out of them uh, trying to smuggle Howard Stark into the city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they are lying to him because they're like, it's that Jarvis guy. He had like 10, 10 guys with him and a, and a girl, but like yeah, 10 yeah, guys. Yeah. Uh, and Mink is, uh, is polishing a very odd looking gun. It looks like a pistol sized Gatling gun. Yeah. It, it's an automatic pistol. Yeah. And, and it is. And he demonstrates that by killing one of his thugs for lying to him. Uh, and the other one's like, no, 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 I, I have information. It was a lady. Her name, I heard Stark call her Peggy. I, I can go, you want me to go kill her right now? And he's like, nah, I'll take care of it. And he kills his other thug. Yeah. So. Yeah, his gun, his gun got stuck, though. He shot him in the shoulder, and he's like, oh, man, I, yeah. I, just, I just paid for this fucking thing. <laughs> but then and he fixed it and murdered in the rest yeah. of the way. So that's that nice. was good. That's nice. That's nice. Um, so that's Otto Mink. That's a new uh, fly in the ointment. Uh, Peggy gets home from work and finds Howard not in her room. <sighs> and this is one of my favorite moments. She just steps out in the hallway and goes, where are you now? Yeah. And he pops out of somebody else's room. It's Helen this time from down the hall. <laughs> damn it, Stark. Now, this is something we'll talk about later, but wouldn't it have been funny if he had gotten into a certain someone else's room? Oh, my God. Right. Right. Like, yeah. how fucking lucky is this guy that he kept rolling the dice on women's rooms in this hallway and he didn't get that one? Yep. Because oh, Stark would be dead, man. and then we would get no no Iron Man. Dead, 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 dead. Um, so anyway, uh, she's like, hey, uh, I am back. Let us talk. Hold on, I'm scrolling around to it. Um, no, actually, okay, that is that is an issue that I have with this episode, is that it keeps jumping moment, moment, moment. Like, we're with Mink for two minutes. We get back to find Peggy come home, holler for Howard, finds him, drags him back to her room. That scene is over. Now we're at Sousa. Yeah, and this is where, yeah, and also, uh, this is where the TV production of it all starts to really irritate me. Right. It's the same fucking camera angle for the same fucking shot. The editing is very basic and simple. It's not very dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to Agent Carter? What happened? Like, we had, remember when we fawned in the first episode over that shot where Peggy is walking against the crowd and yes. it's super stylized it's so all good. this music that's not in this episode at that's all the, there's none that's of the that. difference between a tv director and a movie director i know that is absolutely like now now that you've pointed it out i'm as we're going through this all of my mental imagery i can't unsee it this is tv yeah, yeah. and eh, bummer i eh, we'll see as we go through this if they give him another episode i'm not sure they do they, do, they don't um, this is his only uh, Hooray! Yeah, okay, thanks. so yeah. Sousa is bringing in Frank the Bum uh, and puts him <laughs> in an interrogation room. On his way in, Thompson fucking ridicules him yeah. in front of everybody and the- sarcastically claps. Agent Sousa found Howard Stark. <laughs> we can all rest now! Ugh, hate him so much. Fucking asshole. And he's like, Sousa, don't, don't mess with him. You go do the real thing that I told you to do. And Sousa's like, he was at the docks. He saw something. And I really appreciate Sousa doesn't give a fuck if Thompson thinks he's in charge right now. 
So he's just going to go ahead and keep doing his job well. God damn it. So that's it. We're done with that scene. Back to the Griffith Hotel. I'm not sure why we had to break these up into teeny tiny little bite-sized pieces, but here we go. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Peggy and Stark are developing the photos that she took with the camera pen. I like that the first ten or so are clearly porn. Yeah. Uh, Because she's looking at them and she goes, well, she seems uninhibited. <laughs> anyway, they they've turned her bathroom into a dark room and they're de- they're developing the photos. Right then Angie comes pounding at the door because apparently this is Angie's self-appointed job. She calls people to come to dinner. Angie is the worst fucking friend ever. I mean, <laughs> she's, she's such a one- fucking busybody. I love her. I know, but like I'm an introvert and just Angie is my my villain origin story. And like why why you gotta knock so loud? Right? Can't like you just she knocks like, like a cop. Jesus. Yeah. Can't you just text me or They don't have they don't have cell phones. Can't you send me a telegram? <laughs> Can't you knock gently? <laughs> like why's it gotta can't, be ba 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 Can you just not Come to my door. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> anyway, uh, Stark seems like he's a little he's a little attracted to just Angie's voice through the door because Stark's a fucking dog. Um, and Peggy's like, no, I can't, Angie. I'm so sick. And Angie says, are you okay? You need Pepto? So pause. I may or may not have gone down a Pepto-Bismol rabbit hole. No, you did not. I did. I did. <laughs> Because look, okay, Pepto Bismol is a fucking. This is out of control. No, shut up. Okay, (laughs) I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. Oh, just you wait. I'm gonna talk about hamburgers later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. So real quick, Pepto Bismol. Like that's that's a medication that's in my house right now. I. It's fucking amazing, and it turns out I did I did some research on Pepto. You can go to peptobismol.com and learn all about the history of Pepto Bismol. Um, Pepto Bismol was invented in 1900, mm-hmm. so it is historically like literally accurate. 1900, literally 1900. So okay, it was it That's was developed cool. by a doctor to treat the symptoms of cholera. What? Because you see, once upon a time, people didn't wash their hands or drink from a different place from where they pooped. And that's how you got cholera. (laughs) And the symptoms of cholera were extreme and deadly. Like you would die not just of the infection, but of the symptoms of the dehydration uh, that were involved in the um, absolute bomb that got set off in your guts. Right. So it's like lava. It's coming out of me like lava. (laughs) And so uh, this doctor developed this formula that it's it it is almost exactly the same formula that we used today 122 years later because it's so fucking effective so yeah the having angie uh check fucking pepto-bismol here that's legit everybody had pepto so there you go we really sidebarred pepto-bismol okay okay no we sidebarred pepto-bismol put some respect on that name (laughs) <laughs> it needs to be identified <laughs> anyway stark's like no 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 go go to dinner i worry about you you work too much and also bring me back all of this fucking, fucking food because she can't fucking get away from men telling her to feed them i know i hate she's I got hate the, fucker, hate... the, the fuckers at the ssr and now howard like god damn it yeah so can we skip the food scene please because i just found this like really fucking offensive <laughs> the scene where the women are enjoying food? You found and, that offensive? Uh, and also stuffing their purses full of food so they can feed other people? 
No, stuffing purses full of food so they could feed themselves. I thought the implication was is that because one then one of them say, "Oh yeah, I got this for mom" or something like that. No, baby, her I mean, mom. I just heard that. So okay, we're at the buffet downstairs yeah. for dinner at the Griffith, and here we have an entire room full of women enjoying food. Which that part's fine. Which is amazing. And like happily stuffing their faces. Not just like picking at it, but like they're shoveling in mashed potatoes and ham and all this good stuff, right? And Peggy is, is like trying to snitch rolls for, and she's, because she's gonna take up some food to fucking Howard. Right. And Angie comes up behind her and she's like, these rolls will keep for like three days if you keep them out on the windowsill. Because, (laughs) because they all like food and, uh, the Griffith doesn't feed you all three meals. You get a continental breakfast and you get dinner. So if you want to eat for free in the middle of the day, you steal food. And then we find out that all of these women steal food. That one of them, her mom sewed her a pocket in her purse so that she could sneak a, an entire fucking chicken upstairs. Like... <laughs> Lori's got her compartment in her pocketbook that can fit a cup of gravy. We get a shot of the dinner table where Dottie Underwood, remember Dottie from Iowa? Yeah. We met her last episode. Uh, <laughs> Dottie Underwood looks at the person and goes, well, would you look at that? Could you make me one that holds pickles? Like they're all <laughs> so excited about food. And like, look, this is how I got through college. My meal plan would not feed me three meals a day. Right. But I could absolutely take Tupperware with me into the meal hall and steal yep. that shit and take it back home. So I remember that. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just because I, I may have been only stealing tater tots, but that's not, that's neither here nor there. Oh, my, there. okay, uh, uh, sidebar. Weren't those tater tots the fucking shit, though? They like, were I, the shit. Do you remember feasting, the feast of small round brown things, where it was tater tots and nuggets? That was it. That <laughs> was literally s- it. They were so fucking good. Uh, oh, my God. Memories. Yay. Anyway. <laughs> no, but Freshman I just, 15, my ass. <laughs> I no, ain't stopping at no 15. Fresh, <laughs> no, it was like freshman 40 for me. At least. <laughs> at least. <laughs> well, it was either that or the big ZD, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, the ZD. Okay, anyway, anyway. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Got so I now. loved Thanks, this Heather. scene. I loved that these women were were stuffing their faces and enthusiastic about food and conspiring on ways to obtain more food. Um, that's really great, and I feel like it. It, but it, it's such a bright spot in this episode. It doesn't fit with all the rest of the misogynistic bullshit that's, that goes down I, in this. episode. And I think that's my problem with it. Is like I'm at this point, I'm really angry with the misogyny that's happening and the homeless thing that was mm-hmm. happening. Um, so and, you were just already in a mood when you got to this scene and, yeah, and, and read was, it wrong? Yeah, I, and I think that's what happened with me because it's like, oh, I, I stuffed my purses and we have pockets and bubble. I mean, it's like, you know what? Whatever at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was great. It, okay, but cool. it did. Um, and, you know, I feel like almost like it was tacked on by somebody else. Yeah. Uh, because I don't actually expect the people that handled the rest of this episode to be able to handle that moment, but whatever. I also credit the actors in the scene, all of these women in this room, for enthusiastically, like, shoveling in food and not and not picking at it. And, like, they can't even talk to each other. Their mouths are so full of ham right now. Like, it was fucking awesome. It was great. It was a, it was a Golden Girls cheesecake moment. Love it. Love it. Anyway, back at the SSR, because again, two seconds at a time with any particular scene. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Souza is trying to question Frank. And he's yep. trying to connect with Frank on the veteran level. And it's a great speech. It's really touching. 
It doesn't it's work. Really, it's really <laughs> sweet. Souza shares an experience that he had when he got back from the war. Uh, he walked into a diner and everybody saw him come in and clapped because he's in uniform and he's got a crutch. So he's like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> like it was totally unexpected. He sits down and starts eating and then another GI comes in. And he puts down his silverware because he's about to clap for this guy, but nobody claps for him. And because that the, the new guy didn't have a visible injury. Yep. And he realized that the people were clapping for him getting hurt and not for him having served. That's when I realized they weren't clapping for me. They were clapping for this. Clapping because I make them feel guilty and they want to feel good. Which was poignant and sweet and... uh and Frank was like, oh, you know, nobody clapped for me either. I get it, but I'm still an asshole and I'm not talking to you because you're a cop. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> this is this is not the way to get to him. Uh, and I wish it had been. I yeah, really I wish just, it had yeah, been. I, yeah, because what happens later really sets me off. But um, yeah, so it, it didn't work. Um, I I'm confused by that story choice honestly why they did that um like but, why give us this moment this look into souza without having it pay off right it's why like, give it as something that's just ammunition for thompson to make fun of him in five and that, seconds it's, and that pissed me off more than it, one of the, that was one of the things that pissed me off more than anything in this episode so souza you know gets up and walks into the next room where thompson is watching behind the mirror right and thompson's like oh we didn't clap for you or i forgot what he said i fucking hate thompson but like <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, fucking Thompson. And it just, it, it's extra gross because we get another reference later. Thompson is also a veteran. Yeah. Thompson apparently has a reputation for having been quite the war hero. Mm-hmm. And, and Thompson doesn't know anything about how Sousa lost a leg. Like he asks him about it and Sousa's not going to share with him because he's an asshole. So, because Thompson's an asshole, not Sousa. Sousa's perfect. Um, yeah, we love Sousa. Anyway, Thompson's giving Sousa shit for wasting time, and Sousa's like, no, do you notice that he's not saying he didn't see anything? He's saying he won't talk. He saw something. And Thompson's like, ooh, you know, okay. Anyway, um, so Peggy and Howard are going through the photos from the pen. And I'm sorry, again, we're jumping back and forth a lot. Yeah, and that's just I, how this episode is. Yeah, part of the reason why my notes are so confusing is because I'm like writing notes of the previous scene while the next scene's happening, and I'm like, yeah. what? What are we, where are we right mess. now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Howard tells Peggy that he can see all of his inventions are in the SSR lab. Nothing is out on the black market. But Yay, and, and Peggy, he's he looks really sad about it, and she's like, "Well, <laughs> why is your mustache so sad?" <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Uh, and he's like, "Because you got to steal one of them back." Uh-oh. And she's like, uh-huh. And he tells her about the Blitzkrieg button. Okay. So in general, uh, in World War II, Blitzkrieg refers to lightning war. It is the sudden, swift, overwhelming attack that was kind of the hallmark of the German forces. And they would often blitz bomb England, uh, yeah. major targets in England and London, um, to the point where people in the cities had to shut off all of their lights so that the bombers wouldn't be able to see where to drop their bombs. They wouldn't be able to see targets. So Stark tells Peggy that he was asked by the U.S. military to develop the Blitzkrieg button. It is a device that if you push the button, will shut off all of the lights in an entire city. Yep. Thus foiling any bomber's ability to hit a target. And Peggy's like, okay, so what's the problem? And he's like, well, the problem is I couldn't figure out how to get the lights to come back on. Yeah, because essentially it's an EMP bomb, right? 
Right. So it's going it like- just, <laughs> it fucking fries the power grid. And he's like, so they've got this. And if they push this button, they're going to send the entire tri-state area back to the Stone Age. Yay. So, and he, he like gives her this enormous emotional appeal. He's like, here, I, I, here's a fake one. I want you to go swap it out. Bring me the Blitzkrieg button. We can't let them even accidentally push it. You can't try and convince them not to push it because then you might tell them what it is. And when has the U.S. military ever not used a weapon? Please don't. I, and he says, I'm already considered a traitor, Peggy. Don't let me be the guy who shut down the greatest city on the planet. Yep. And it works. Yeah. Peggy reunites with Jarvis and she's while like. While Mr. Mink is watching. While Mr. Mink is creepy guy number three. Um, he's not. They're not on the same team. He's not creepy guy number three. You know, any, he's a different any, player. Okay. Any skinny white guy that looks weird is a creepy guy. That's my canon. You're not wrong. But <laughs> in this episode, in this context. Fine. <laughs> the fine. creepy guys are are on the, the tracheotomy. Tracheotomy? Laryngotomy? The guys who can't talk to you. That the creepy, okay, we'll, we'll canonize this because the creepy people are the Leviathan people. Is that there what we, we go. go with? Okay, there we go. Got it. And got Mink it. is not Leviathan. Right. Okay. Mink is just a fucking criminal. <laughs> anyway, so we cut from that scene with Howard to her getting in the car and Mink is watching. And then we're done with that. We got over to Susan. Yeah. And she's all ready for another adventure, Mr. Jarvis. <laughs> right. Um, so we're back at Susan in the interrogation room with Frank. And he is still struggling with it. He's trying to get Frank to talk. And then who should swan into the interrogation room with a bag full of burgers and a bottle of scotch? There is uh, not enough words in any language to describe how much I hated the scene. I fucking hated it. Um, so, I would like to give you the floor, dear. Would you like to describe the scene and how much you hate it? Yeah. So Go Thompson ahead. comes in with a bottle of whiskey, or I'm sorry, a bottle of bourbon and a burger. Mm. And he start, He is like, you know, hovering this stuff in front of the homeless guy. Mm-hmm. And he's eating the burger and he's like, mmm, eat mm, delicious cow or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the homeless guy is like transfixed because he's probably hungry or is an alcoholic and needs to booze. And sure. It unfortunately works. Uh, uh, the and and Thompson gives him the burger, and the homeless guy goes right for the bourbon and just chugs that shit like it's water. Yeah, because obviously uh, he is of of weak moral character. He's an addict. We should use their addictions against them to get them to talk. Fucking, it's pretty gross. It's it, it's, it's so fucking gross. I can't even. Um, anyway, I uh, this is probably one of the reasons why I'm not a fan of this episode. This is what this is what I mean when I say I wish that the that the appeal from Souza had worked. So then yeah. Frank would be a human and not a walking addicted trope. Um, but he does tell them that he saw a guy dressed up all fancy, like in a suit, and a dark haired woman, and that yeah. was all he saw. Yeah. Okay, so they have that information. Um, but watching this made me think: Wait, did they have burgers? <laughs> In 1946. Oh my god, I can't believe we're doing this right now. <laughs> um, it, it also, uh, I was hungry at the time I was watching it, uh, and I'm hungry now, so we're going to talk about it. Oh my god, I it. want Whataburger so bad, Stephanie. Can you send me yeah. some Whataburger, please? I cannot. And so, you have oh. your own fucking burger places over there. We don't have Whataburger. You Heather, know what? Whataburger service sucks, okay? I, that's part of the appeal. 
You and the best thing, you know, people talk about the burgers at Whataburger. No, the best thing on the menu is the fucking chicken tenders and the gravy and the sweet tea. Okay, don't you're at not, me. There's That's no lie. There is no lie. There is no lie. But the part of the Whataburger experience is yeah, it's two a.m. You're you're drink you're drunk. <laughs> you're in this long drive-through line. It it's takes so two long. hours to Why get through. Why do they suck so and, much? And the be- and pe- somebody will inevitably get out of their truck. And, uh-huh. and start fighting. And that's the beauty of it. It's the show. It's dinner it's and a show. show. It's no, the absolutely. moment. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. We don't okay. get that shit at In-N-Out. Everybody's stoned. We're not getting out of our car. <laughs> There's no drunk and angry at the drive through at In-N-Out. Fuck. No, we're all high. We're all high. <laughs> okay, so um, another reason I really wanted to look it up is because the burgers that were in this scene looked incredibly dry and unappetizing. Right. And I... I loved that for Chad Michael Murray. You go ahead and choke down that dry, cold piece of shit, fake ass burger. (laughs) I hope it sticks in your throat for days, sir. I was upset. I was upset. Anyway, so do they have burgers in 1946? The answer is yes. The hamburger in the form that we recognize it has been around since the 1904 World's Fair, where it was first introduced along with all the other festival food. Uh, the, as far as like commercial, uh, chain restaurants, uh, there's been a few, uh, the first White Castle opened in 1921. Wow. There you go. Um, but this show does predate the other major chains. So he probably got these burgers from a local diner. Yeah. Or, or, or a deli. Right. Uh, a, a diner or a deli, mm-hmm. uh, would have been able to get him these burgers. Um, but yeah, so this show is in 1946. The first In-N-Out opened in 1948. Uh, and the first McDonald's opened in 1955. So these were probably just from a diner around the corner. And they looked incredibly unappetizing. Fuck that guy. So, anyway. Fuck, fuck him. Okay, so his use of burgers and booze gets the information. They know it's a, it's a dark-haired woman. And Sousa is specifically trying to find out if the woman that he saw is the blonde that he has a photo from behind of from Spider Raymond's club. Because, by the way, they're still trying to find who killed Spider Raymond to right. get to try and buy and steal Howard Stark's bullshit, tech bullshit. Yeah. And and so Frank, the homeless guy, is like, no, it's uh, it's uh, it she had dark, dark hair, hair but yeah. I was I was too far away to good look at them. I want my booze. Blah, blah, yes, blah. exactly. Okay, so um, cut from that to Dooley is in we're Germany. In, suddenly, we're in Germany, aka soundstage number two. <laughs> right. If it was even that, um, yeah, so he's right. at uh, at Nuremberg. Uh, yeah. Now, now, would you like to know something about Nuremberg? What can you tell us about Nuremberg? Okay, y'all, uh, Nuremberg is a really consequential moment in history in general. And, of course, I'm talking about the Nuremberg Trials. Mm-hmm. If you do not know anything about it, please look it up. Because there was a time when at least the whole world agreed that Nazis were bad. Mm-hmm. We seem to be forgetting that. Now, there is a, the reason why we mentioned the timing of the show happening in April mm-hmm. is that... Um, that was not the time when the convictions came down from the Nuremberg Trials. What the Nuremberg Trials were was a a group of countries, including the United States, Russia, uh, came together and formed a prosecution and court system uh, where they were going to prosecute um, all of the top Nazi generals that were still alive and, and politicians um, for crimes against humanity, i.e. the Holocaust and other fucking horrible shit they did. Mm-hmm. Um, now... Uh, Russia originally wanted 
it to happen in Berlin because what irony would there would it be? But right. uh, the thing is that Berlin got bombed to shit, <laughs> and in fact, the only major German uh, city that had any built buildings left standing was Nuremberg. Mm. Uh, now Nuremberg had a a place called the Palace of Justice, and oh, wow. across okay. a, yeah, and across the street from the Palace of Justice was a jail. Uh, now it was originally a temporary, like just like how we have like jails and prisons. Um, mm-hmm. This place really was just a jail. It was a temporary holding place where people were awaiting trial across the street, and if they got convicted, they would be sent to a faraway place that was a prison. Mm-hmm. This place got converted into a maximum security prison because this was the place where all of the worst of the worst Nazis were being held, oh, wow. and there was concern at the time that. Uh, you know, because Nazis didn't make that many friends um, no. that people were going to try to break into the prison to murder the Nazis. Um, yeah. 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 Um, the, the countries were obsessed with putting this shit on camera. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the first trials that actually had like, you know, photography and live cameras rolling, watching some of the proceedings. And then they would get blasted in newsreels before the mm-hmm. movie started. And, um, uh, this was just a really big deal. Like this, uh, there were uh, newspapers that had Nuremberg trial reports, kind of like when the OJ trial happened, mm-hmm. um, but you know, much more serious. And ultimately, by October first, nineteen forty-six, uh, convictions came down. Mo- most, if not all, of the Nazis were found guilty, and either they were hung, which was extremely painful, um, mm-hmm. or they were shot by firing squad, which was filmed. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So that's, classy. Yeah, that's classy. Now, in the Marvel MCU universe, for whatever reason, the Nuremberg trials concluded in April instead of October. Okay. okay. But I don't know why, but that's what they did. And that's where we are right now. It may be as part of like we were, what we were talking about last time, uh, out of respect for real life events, changing the names of things, um, changing the dates of Nuremberg. Uh, they couldn't get away from Nuremberg. Uh, as a as a historical touchstone, but mm-hmm. changing the dates of it may have been to put some distance and respect between their fictional world and the very consequential, relevant, important, do not forget about this history shit that happened in the real world at Nuremberg. Yeah. That might be what that buffer and is there That's for. what I suspect as well. Now, um, it should be noted that um, in the MCU version of the Nuremberg trials, members of Hydra were tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They, they, there were uh, short stories leading up to certain films, like The Winter Soldier, where that was referenced. Uh, I think there was a character referenced. I don't know if it was an Agents of Shield or the other one that I haven't seen before, um, where um, the, uh, one? A, the Cloak and Dagger. I always get the name wrong. Cloak and Dagger does not deal with Nazis. Okay, um, I don't know, but I think it was Agents of Shield then, where uh, you know a old Hydra agent was said to have been murdered or killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the uh, proceedings of the trial. So, you know, that's Not another bothered. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the guy that Dooley is at Nuremberg to see is a Colonel Ernst Miller. Mueller? Mueller. Mueller. Yeah. Mueller. Uh, Colonel Ernst Mueller is being played by Jack Conley, who is another that guy. I was going to um, say, I was like, when he came on screen, I was like, oh, it's that guy. It's that guy. <laughs> He's in everything. He has made a career out of steady work as uh, supporting characters since the 90s. He's been in NYPD Blue, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, The West Wing, Supernatural, and he had a six-episode one on your favorite show, Doc McStuffins. 
<laughs> Remember Doc McStuffins? You love Doc McStuffins. It's what not a concept the- that freaks you out at all. <laughs> I just love the idea. If you, if you guys listen to Dark Side Divas, I give Chris a lot of shit about Doc McStuffins, um, which is a kids show. It is a Disney kids show. Um, but I just love the idea that this guy who is playing a Nazi general is also the voice of the Dragon Bot on Doc McStuffins. <laughs> <laughs> What a terrible name for a show. <laughs> it really is terrible. It is the sweetest show about this girl. Um, and it's adorable uh, and extra important because of the representation. She is a black girl who likes to play pretend that she is a doctor. And so she has all of her imaginary toy friends who all come to her for for help for doctor stuff. It's a really sweet and very, it's a great show uh, for kids. It's a bad name. <laughs> it's a bad name, Doc McStuffins. Anyway, anyway. So, Dooley is here to talk to Mueller. Uh, and as he walks into Mueller's very nondescript, could possibly be in Germany cell, uh, Mueller is being measured for a noose. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they actually did that. They actually measure your neck. They sure do. There you go. Uh, and Mueller's like, oh, hey, what's up? Gallows humor. I'm about to, I'm a big evil guy who's about to die. I don't care. I don't give um, a fuck. I don't give no, a fuck. No, zero fucks given by Mueller. Dooley shows Mueller pictures of creepy eyes one and two. Mueller does not recognize them. And Dooley's no. like, okay, well, uh, what can you tell me about the Battle of Finau? And Mueller's like, I was in Finau. Oh. And he doesn't want to tell Dooley shit. So no. Dooley's like, how about this? You tell me everything you know about Finau. And I'll help you escape. And then cuts cut scene because cut like, we're done. They, they don't. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? Like, so no. I I have to I have to for five or however long five minutes think that like the chief is going rogue and is doing right. Like, and I'm just like, what the fuck's going on now? Like he's Why so they fucking cut? desperate to break this case. He's gonna try and he's gonna commit an international fucking crime here. And, what? And editing people, finish that fucking scene because now I'm pissed off at him and I'm having to focus on the next scene. But that's why that's why they did that so that you will keep watching because... And I feel like that's why a lot of the rapid cuts are happening in this episode because the director and the writers don't trust the audience's attention span. I, so they're keep, they keep ending scenes on hooks to keep the, you watching till yeah. you get to watch the rest of that scene. Which is such and, a 90s way of doing television yeah, shows. And it's yeah. a really condescending way to put together a show. Right. And it doesn't fit. You're right. It doesn't fit with the pacing and the way the show's been handled up to this point. But whatever. Anyway, Peggy and Jarvis are on their way to the SSR to go get the Blitzkrieg button. Yep. They are being followed by Mr. Mink. To right. Just a note. Mr. Mink is following them in another car. And Peggy is asking Jarvis for details about the button. And she notices that he keeps tugging on his ear. He, this is, it was too much for me. I mean, yeah. don't you think? Well, he's know. never done it before. Right. And he's lied to her before. Right. In other episodes. Uh, but now he can't lie without tugging on his ear all of a sudden. Like and every, I guarantee like every you, five seconds. And yeah, and what we're going to have to watch for is if he ever does it again. Right. Because I don't think he will. I, I don't think, think this he might will. be a one episode thing. And I also think, like, I understand this was to tell the audience, oh, Jarvis is li- obviously lying. It would have been so much cooler if he didn't do that, but Peggy still knew he was lying because it's fucking Peggy. Of course she knew he was fucking lying. Right. She, doesn't, she doesn't need him to tug his ear to figure that out. She's already right. figured she- 
She picked up on it. I was yeah. surprised when she clearly looked over, saw him doing it. She was like, oh, he's fucking lying to me. So she yeah. starts asking a series of questions to see if he'll do it or not. And I that was also weird and shady because normally Peggy would just be like, Jarvis, why are you lying to me right now? Right. That was odd. It was yeah. odd. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she's like asking like, hey, if I accidentally activate it, no one's going to get hurt right and stuff like that. And Obviously, Jarvis is lying to her about some aspect of the Blitzkrieg button. Okay, fine. So then we cut to Dooley back at the Nuremberg. (laughs) (laughs) That's too much. I know. It's too much. And he is graphically describing to Mueller exactly what happens when you are hung by the neck and how it's super humiliating and painful and takes forever. So uh, if you don't want that to be your fate. And also, they measure the neck. They always forget to measure the height. Yeah, or the mm-hmm. weight, or the you weight. know, yeah. and so like you could just be dangling there. And that is actually the most common way that people who were hung by the neck died. If your weight wasn't sufficient to snap your neck at the first drop, you were just going to dangle there for yep. however long it took for you to strangle to death. And it took a long time because the noose was never tight enough to completely strangle you. So you could still breathe in just enough air to keep you alive Yeah, and, until you, you're just your muscles in your neck get so tired. Yeah, it's your own body weight. Your own body weight is what would strangle you. Yeah. So it's a it, brutal, awful, humiliating way to die. You would absolutely like piss yourself. Like yeah. that's just it's awful. Yeah. Oh, by the way, trigger warning: hanging. I guess I don't know. It's bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're a little late on that. Anyway, uh, so he tells him these horror stories, and he's like, "Or you could take this," and he opens up a compartment on his watch, a cyanide pill, give you a <gasps> quick death. Nobody gets the satisfaction of watching you hang. So Miller talks. Yeah. This is appealing to him. There was no battle at Finau. There was no battle at Finau. Wait, what? (laughs) I know. Why are we calling it a battle? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So he says no Germans fought. That when they showed up, all the Russians were already dead. What we found can only be described as a massacre. Bodies piled high and ripped apart. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Dooley's like, nah, that can't be right. And Miller's like, no, really, I'm a fucking monster. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I know about murder and, and killing and this. We didn't do this. I yeah. would own up to it because I'm awful. Yeah. I am a Nazi. So. <laughs> anyway, Dooley gives him the cyanide pill and then he hustles out of the... <laughs> Out of the jail, and we find out as he offers one to a guard on the way out, it's a breath mint. <laughs> that is not a cyanide pill. Dooley is not actually helping this man escape. Good and job. that annoyed me, because here I am, super annoyed with him, and now I have to like him again? It is, but that's Dooley. That is I, the constant ebb and flow of dealing with Dooley in this show, is you love him, you hate him, you love him, you hate him. Um, I just always hate Thompson. Uh and I always love Sousa. So we have this nice balance in between the two. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did watch ahead. I know Thompson. Did. Okay, stop. Anyway, I won't, I won't talk about it anymore. But yeah, you're, for, for now, you're right. Stop but, watching ahead, too. Fuck is wrong with you. I was so angry. I was like, please tell me that the next episode's better. And it was. So. Okay. There. I said stop it. it. Yeah. Preserve the surprise. Damn you. Anyway. I'm surprised. Unless I read your fucking TikTok, then I'm just like, shit. I told you to stay out of the comment section on the TikToks. I saw before you warned me. 
No, well, that's on you. Yeah. Okay. So meanwhile, back at the SSR, Souza is annoyed because he feels like the interrogation didn't go well. And Thompson's like, eh, you did okay. You found a witness nobody else found. Uh, and he is, and it actually says in my notes right here, because Thompson is eating a burger. It says in my notes, those burgers look dry AF good. Thompson deserves dry ass burgers. So <laughs> I was still fucking mad and still judging. I know. We're, we're just like re- getting angry as we watch the episode. <laughs> So while they're there, uh, Peggy is sneaking into the SSR. She sneaks into the lab. She swaps out the Blitzkrieg button for the uh, fake one that uh, Stark gave her. And then she takes the real one and she goes into a closet Mm -hmm. because she's got to know. She is incredibly suspicious. Suspicious. That's a hard word to say. Suspicious. Uh, And she's got to know what the fuck is up. And so she takes a deep breath and she pushes the button. Mm-hmm. And all the lights go out in New York. It would, Stark was telling the truth, right? No, the uh, ball opens. <laughs> <laughs> and it shouldn't happen, actually. See a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so there's a there's a uh, uh, there's a a thing inside of it that looks like it's keeping something cold. Yeah, and, it's got like a little puff of cold air. Yeah, and she opens that up, and she finds a vial of blood. And I well, knew, of red stuff. We don't 100% know what it is, but she knows. She's got a I, sinking suspicion exactly I, what that is. I knew exactly what it was, too, the moment she saw it. I was like, you motherfucking assholes. Exactly. Fucking okay. assholes. Oh, these, <laughs> Howard Stark is such a shithead. Okay, so she packs it back up. She's a little shook. She's trying to sneak back out of the SSR. She almost gets spotted, so she ducks into the interrogation room. Right. Without checking first. Right. And Thompson is in there because he's fishing the bottle of scotch. Turns out that's actually Dooley's scotch. He stole it from Dooley's office and let a homeless man chug out of it. Gross. So he probably should have just let him keep the bottle. I'm just saying. But anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, alcohol Tom- kills the germs, right? Sure. No, that's actually no. not true. Um, Thompson <laughs> is in the interrogation room and he's like, Marge? Fucking ugh. And uh, he has a, a really awful fucking conversation here. This is probably my least favorite Marvel thing ever. This it's, scene. Well, and it's so fucking ham-handed, right? Yeah. Like, what happened to all of the subtlety and poetry of the dialogue in this show up to this point? Why are we getting this right now? It's like, it's just, it's the full frontal misogynistic nudity moment of dialogue. It's awful. Okay, so Thompson's like, uh, you know, Marge, you're hiding something. And she's like, you mean... The Blitzkrieg button in my purse right now? I totally am hiding that. She doesn't say that, but like, that's the tension in her face. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're trying to hide something, Peggy. And she's like, okay, well, what's that? And he says, uh, the only one that you are fooling is you. The natural order of the universe. You're a woman. No man will ever consider you an equal. It's sad. But it doesn't make it any less true. Yeah, I hate him. I'm just going to say this. If you watch this episode twice like I did... This monologue that he delivers destroys everything at the beginning of this episode for me because you have like women letting a man come into the room and like start messing around with them immediately as if they have like no mind of their own and they're like, right. oh, cute guy, we're gonna have sex. And in the cafeteria scene where the women are all like, hee hee hee, I keep food in my purse. It like, it really like this, this killed the episode for me. I can see how this, this, I feel like was a, was a peek inside the writer's minds, uh, Mm -hmm. 
and how that makes definitely the uh, the sort of mindless lust of the women at the Griffith Hotel um, something to be disgusted by at the beginning. Um, I still don't think it steals the power of the women eating scene mm-hmm. uh, because that's so fucking revolutionary. Like if if it was. If this if this episode was entirely painted with the uh, misogyny brush that we have in this monologue, those women would have been like, "Oh, food! I don't actually like it at all." Like they they wouldn't yeah, have yeah, been eating yeah. it. So and no, the women point. eating the the women eating scene stands, but this fucking moment, like, fuck, really? You're just gonna come out and say it? Like this is the mission statement of like th- there's there's nothing subtle about this there's nothing artful about this right. this is like this is this is a conversational dick pic like it's just <laughs> it's so ugh, it was i was insulted as a viewer not as a woman right. like the thing is the content of this monologue is not surprising obviously this is exactly what he thinks obviously um this is exactly what Jack Thompson has been dying to say to her, mm-hmm. like from day one. And I guess with Dooley out of town, he's a little less inhibited. He's just going to straight up say this condescending shit. But whatever. Anyway, God, I hate it. Um, yeah. Peggy clenches her jaw and says, well, I can always come to you for the truth. And she <laughs> leaves. And, but that's a point is th- he tells her the fucking truth about what he thinks. Uh, which is more than she can say for the friend that she's got back in her fucking apartment. Who does not have truth for her. No. No. So, hold on. I'm stuck. Peggy is, Mink is watching her on the whole way home and getting back to her apartment. Yeah. Peggy. Follows her home. Right. Peggy stomps into her apartment. Well, she's not stomping. She's, she is frighteningly calm. And can I she- just say, the scene that's coming. She is angry when she's beautiful. Yeah. Like Peggy Carter in a rage, in this tightly controlled, super justifiable fury that she's in is stunning. Like, how do you not fall in love with this vengeful goddess standing I, before you in this purple dress? I, I, just, I, I stand everything you're saying. I have in my notes, my God, She's hot. <laughs> she is. She is so angry. I love uh, it. But, but before we get into that side note, Mink uh, is pretending to be a flower delivery man. And then he walks up to the front desk where Miriam is and is like, I love Peggy. I have these flowers for her. And Miriam's like, okay, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, give the flowers to me. I'll give them to her. And But he sees her write down Peggy's room number. Yep. So he leaves. Okay. Anyway, Peggy is furious and she's like you need to tell me howard what's in the vial and he's like what what vial yeah what's in the vial i opened the ball (laughs) yeah oh you opened it yeah i did what's in the vial howard what's in the vial chris captain america's blood Steve Rogers' blood. Yeah. God, you remember back in Captain America, the first Avenger, when uh, they were taking vial vial after vial after vial of blood out of Steve? Mm -hmm. This is that. Uh, It turns out the U.S. government got 11 vials and they gave one to Howard. Yep. Okay. And the U.S. government is almost through their entire supply. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but... This is a note, and we really need to stick a pin in this for later when we're watching through more uh, MCU canon, mm-hmm. because this blood comes back. 
We yeah. find out what they were doing with this blood, and it's awful. Yeah. It, they're trying to recreate Captain America, and it's fucking terrible. Any way. We'll and get to that in the Falcon. Get, in like 50 years. Yeah, in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's going to take us a while. Um, so anyway, they have a huge fucking fight because she's like, you lied. And he's like, I lied because look at you right now. You're so emotional. I hate him so much right now. I hate him for this. When, she's emotional because you lied. Yeah. And that punch she threw was all of a rage in mm-hmm. one, of one day on his eye. <laughs> yeah, and she and he tries to excuse it. He's like, "Yeah, I lied. It's just what I do. I grew up poor on the streets." Oh, and the shut you. the fuck up, Howard. Yeah, you lied, and she yeah. caught you. And she, God bless, because he's like, "I I knew what Steve meant to you because it's what he he means so much to me too. Like I get it, and that's why I lied. I didn't want you to be mad at me right now." Um, and Peggy, in a shining fury, she tells him. Steve Rogers dedicated his mind, his body, his life to the SSR and to this country, not to your bank account. I made the same pledge, but I'm not as good as Steve was. I forgot my pledge running around for you like a corporate spy. So thank you, Howard, for reminding me who Steve was and what I aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Boom. And have fun in Rio, you motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to leave because I need to not be fucking looking at you right now. And when I come back, you're gone. And he's like, where am I supposed to go? She's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. I don't care where you go. Bitch anyway, and, and Howard says he's sorry, but like, so. Too late. So. Too anyway, late. Meanwhile, Mr. Mink is sneaking into the building with the noisiest drill. <laughs> Yeah, well, the air conditioning system, you know, is what I it guess is. he's in the vents and he's like reverse drilling out the the screws that are holding a vent cover in place. But it's really fucking loud. Like, and we've already established the walls in this place are paper thin. Like, there's no way nobody heard this, but okay. <laughs> Whatever. So he sneaks into the hallway and he's sneaking up to Peggy's door. But then, oh, no, her next door neighbor's door opens. It's Dottie. Dottie Underwood lives next door. Yay. And this uh, <laughs> this I did not see coming. I've been waiting for this. You don't understand. I had information on this character in my notes for last episode when she first got introduced by Miriam. But I wasn't going to say anything about it because I didn't. I was, only if you said something. Okay. Because I didn't want to spoil this moment. So what happens, Chris? Uh, well... Uh, Dottie goes full blown uh, Black Widow on on, on yes! her ass. Like she she. Well, you know what? I'm not even gonna go Black Widow. She goes full blown Trinity on his ass. She <laughs> she she, f- she f- hovers up into the air, uh, <laughs> hops on his shoulders, and her Karana's his head. And you hear a horrible, horrible crunching sound if you're listening to this episode on the headphones. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. So right? I, I can honestly say this scene was badass. I did not see that coming. I was surprised. It was amazing. And yeah. I am scared for Peggy's life. You should be. Because <laughs> uh, he pulls his his crazy gun on her. And she's like, because she's got her big Iowa smile on. She's like, oh, huh, are you looking for Peggy? And he pulls the gun and tells her to get back in her room. And she's like, is that pissed? automatic I want that and then she does fucking snap his neck in the hallway and she takes it it's hers now yeah oh it's fucking awesome I have a new favorite character 
Just like that. So, Dottie Underwood. Let's talk about Dottie Underwood. Oh my god. Uh, Dottie is short for Dorothy. As in The Wizard of Oz, because this is Bridget Regan, the actor playing Dottie Underwood, doing her best Judy Garland impression. I love that. Is the cover. And The Wizard of Oz came out in 1939. (laughs) So it is absolutely 100% plausible that Dottie Underwood is using the persona of Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz as her cover. I love that. And that's why she's named Dorothy. Um, so yeah, Bridget Regan, uh, she's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, she was, uh, the bartender in John Wick at the hotel. Right. Uh, she was on The Last Ship, the entire second season of The Last Ship, which, um, I really enjoyed. Is it a good show? No. Is it entertaining? Yes. Uh, and she will be playing Poison Ivy in the upcoming Batwoman series. <gasps> I know. Uh, you know, I've never watched that show, but now I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, I am 100% sold. So that's that's Dottie Underwood. And so <laughs> uh, we finally start closing out this episode, finally, 900 years later, um, with uh, the next day Peggy is carrying lunch orders to work. And Jarvis just walks up to her on the street and she's like, did you know? And Jarvis tugs his ear because he's an idiot. Uh, and she's like, yeah, okay, I know. I know that you knew. And he tries to apologize on behalf of Stark. And he says that Mr. Stark respects you. Who else in the whole fucking world respects you as much as he and I do? And she Bullshit. says, I know, exactly. And she barely keeps from, from rolling her eyes. And she says to him, I can trust the actions of men who don't respect me more than those who do. Wow. And she's right. Earlier, yeah. when Thompson was a fucking misogynist dick right in her face, he was at least being honest with her, which is more than these two were. Yeah. 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 I, I, there's, there's no lie. There is absolutely exactly. no lie with that. So then Jarvis, uh, sits down at a shoeshine booth that was right, that's right there because this was how shoeshine used to work. It, there would just be a booth on a street corner at a train station. You sit down, you get your shoes shined. Okay. Um, and he sits down next to two men who are reading the newspaper. Yep. The one in the middle is Howard Stark. With a big-ass Jar- black guy. <laughs> yes. And Jarvis is furious with Stark. Yeah. And he should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jarvis tells him... Over the last five years, I thought I'd built up a callus apologizing for you. But this one stings. Mm. And Jarvis is like... Uh, not Jarvis. Stark is like, eh, you'll get her back. Because he's an asshole. Because he's an asshole. Fucking dick. Fucking asshole. Anyway, uh, but then Jarvis leaves in a huff, and the guy next to Stark puts his newspaper down. And it's Stan fucking Lee. Stan Lee! We finally have our Stan Lee cameo. Ding! On the Stan Lee cameo counter for this project. That is, in fact, Stan Lee. He asks Howard Stark. Hey, could I borrow the sports section? We love Stan Lee. I'm just disappointed he showed up in this episode. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, maybe that was a Hail Mary to save the fucking thing. I think that's what it was. Anyway, um, in another moment of really ham-handedness, uh, we go to Sousa staring at all of the evidence up on the board, uh, and he's fixated on the picture of the blonde. And rather than just use his imagination to picture that the blonde might have dark hair, he pulls down the only photo they've got of the blonde and then scribbles on it and colors in her hair with a pencil. Which makes no sense. It doesn't make any fucking sense like why are you fucking with the evidence right now yeah but okay uh Dooley is back from germany and he's giving an intel dump on the the conversation with mueller to thompson uh thompson found a flight log uh from finnow on the day of the battle showing howard stark was on a plane there 
So pieces are starting to come into focus. We know it wasn't a battle. We know some weird fucking massacre shit went down and Howard Stark was involved. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Meanwhile, back at the Griffith Hotel, because why would we linger on any one scene for too long? (laughs) Peggy is cranking up the radio all the way up to 11 in her room to hide the noise of her busting a hole in the wall of her apartment because she still has the Blitzkrieg button. She did not indicate to Stark that she had the blood. Stark thinks that the SSR still has it. Yep. But she's got it and she's hiding it behind the bricks in the wall of her apartment because she's going to keep Steve safe one last fucking time. (sighs) So uh, while she's doing that, though, we do get a shot of Dottie in her room playing with her shiny new gun. And there's she's got Mink's corpse just under her bed. Yep. She's going to eat that later. (laughs) <laughs> right? so like, 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 and like his like neck is contorted and shit yeah. like oh, oh my god he's real dead i'm not yeah. sure how she's going to dispose of that uh but then angie knocks on the door to summon her to dinner and you see her put on her dotty face because she was like perfectly serious and terrifying yeah she was like but, working out and shit or wasn't she no she was playing with the gun oh right 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 yeah but, and uh like wa- looking at herself in the mirror with the gun uh, but then she puts on her dotty face and her dotty smile and she's like i'll be there in a jiffy and the chills went down my spine yeah that's a psychopath right there right and because we're still not done with this fucking episode <laughs> cut back to Dooley at the ssr it's clearly late at night he's staring over all the evidence and then all of a sudden the creepy spy typewriter starts to type out a message all by itself. Dun, dun, dun. Done. There. We're finished with this episode. Two hours later. Yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> we, we, ex- we, we take longer to explain the episode than the actual episode, which is 43 yes. minutes. Yeah. Every time. Every time. Okay. So that is, uh, that's where we're at (laughs) with this episode. Uh, it was a journey. Um, I went into talking about this really having liked this episode, but, um, you're right about the perspective about the production issues and the quality. And, um, there were parts of it that were just like, what? Why? It it, it was just too TV. And we, Marvel has proven that they can make a television show with and make it feel the same as the movies. And I know, you know, and I know they probably have more money than they normally would. But as I've, you know, we mentioned Blacklist before. This is an example. I I actually looked it up. um, 11 million. I think it's 11 million dollars per episode to film a Peggy Carter episode, which is really Mm -hmm. fucking expensive for a television show. Uh, Three million for a Blacklist uh, episode. Uh, at least for the first two seasons they did up the budget after that but well and the blacklist is in modern times though like half of that budget for agent carter has got to be just the period shit yeah and 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 i get that but like tell me blacklist doesn't feel like a movie sometimes well of course it does but this isn't this isn't our blacklist podcast bitch no it's not it's not but i'm just for people that are like gonna argue with me about this i'm like no i like that you're pre you're anticipating arguments i of course (laughs) i am because i'm gonna probably get tiktok to death about this i already don't do shit so i might as well get accused of being a sourpuss (laughs) but just look at uh, watch rewatch the first three episodes of agent carter and this episode and compare and contrast it's It's right it's very different it's very different jarringly so okay do we have anything else for episode four the Blitzkrieg button. No, no, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to talking about next episode, though. All right. So <laughs> next time, we will be talking about Agent Carter, Season 1, Episode 5, The Iron Ceiling. Yay. Bum, 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 bum. Um, 
And we don't have anything else for today, so let's outro. You want to outro? Let's outro. Let's outro the show. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. We super appreciate it. If you would like to hang out with us in between episodes, you absolutely can and you should. And I, 10 out of 10, recommend that course of action. Anyway, you can find us on any of the social (laughs) medias on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as at Marvelous underscore Divas. Can I just say that you do great outros? (laughs) Shut up. Go. <laughs> we just need to work on your intro. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is, I'm such an introvert. I don't like showing up to anything. I, I like love leaving. <laughs> so that's what this is. That's so. That's. Uh, I never thought about it like that, but that's facts. <laughs> facts right there. Okay, uh, go. Y'all, look. Uh, listen. If you want to, if you love our podcast, you should subscribe to our podcast on any yes. podcast platform of your choice. Uh, be it iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, we have a YouTube channel where we're doing some awesome shit with Divas Unleashed <laughs> where we talk about some Star Wars shit, some Marvel shit. If you have any questions for us, you can uh, ask us on social media or on the YouTube, on one of the comments, and we will try to answer that question for you on our next Unleashed episode. That is assuming when we don't have a badass guest like we do in the latest one, which, by mm-hmm. the way, you should check out if you're curious about our thoughts about Book of Bubba Fett. I'm sure we'll do Marvel stuff eventually, like doing the same thing with the special yes, guest. Yes, absolutely. But it was awesome and amazing, and Christina is a badass. Yes, that was awesome. Okay, I think that's it. I think that's everything. That's it? Okay, okay. Um, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. So, from the Department of Corrections, uh, last episode, I said that the current New York City sewer system is over 6,000 miles of pipes and tunnels and and locks and and all that shit, okay? Oh, did my partner talk to you about this? No, he did not. (laughs) Technically, that is true, but the current, right now, 2022, New York City sewer system is actually closer to about 7,400 miles. Oh, uh, in the 1940s, it was estimated to be around 6,600 miles. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So for some perspective, because it's easy to throw around numbers like 6,600 miles, like, oh, that's just a lot of pipes. No, no. How, let's have a little perspective on that. The distance from New York City to Los Angeles over land is 2,789.3 miles. Uh-huh. So if you were to take the entire New York City sewer system and stretch it out end to end, it would reach <laughs> all the way from New York City to L.A. across the entire continental United States 2.3 times. 
So, so what you're saying is that that's far. It's a lot of shit. <laughs> it's a lot of shit. It's a lot of literally, shit. Literally. A lot of all shit. shit pipes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just wanted to, to put that uh, put that out there just for the sake of accuracy for anybody who, like me or Chris's partner apparently, uh, geeks out about infrastructure. One hour of my life gone <laughs> from that lecture. Y'all, I am... I, I, I am I am with someone that loves infrastructure so much, <laughs> and I do not. <laughs> I do not care. Y'all, anymore. this is the key to a long-term relationship. Is, Torture. Uh, is <laughs> to as much with as much enthusiasm as you can summon, enduring and sharing in your partner's enthusiasms. See, he used to be the same way with me with like Marvel stuff and Star Wars stuff and other nerd stuff. But since then he's gotten into Star Wars, Marvel and D&D <laughs> and there's nowhere for him to run. <laughs> you will become a fan. You will. The, the nerdification is nearly complete. Oh, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>